0: Good morning. Um, welcome. My name is Pastor Justin. I'm the senior pastor here at New Life, and uh, we are in a series going through the book of Nehemiah together. It has been, it has just been an awesome trip, and just hearing from some of you guys of what what God's doing in in your life in response to uh, to kind of some stirrings that are going on. Um, through this series has just been been so encouraging. And um, if you kind of catch you up, if maybe you haven't been here or this is your first time, is that uh, Nehemiah is essentially a book about a, a man that was blessed with a burden. And God gave him a burden to restore and to rebuild the identity and dignity of the Israelite people. And he did this by doing a really practical thing. He built a wall. And This wall that was essentially laying in ruin around the the city of Jerusalem for about 141 years, and we left off last week at the end of chapter 6 with Nehemiah finally completing the wall. It was done. Um kind of a cool, cool experience and a great like ending to this, this whole like 52 days of working together. The Israelites miraculously worked in unity and what they couldn't have, they've been trying to actively rebuild it for over 70 years and with, with to no avail. And in 52 days, they, they finish it by all working together. Now, you would think that the book of Nehemiah must be finished. Like, it's all about a wall, end of chapter six, they did it, the wall's finished, the end, hallelujah, close the book, let's move on. The problem is is that there's seven more chapters to the book of Nehemiah. And, um, and I've even read like commentaries, i have read a couple books in my studies about the book of Nehemiah, and so many of them end at like chapter six. It's like, okay, yep, yeah, he built the wall, this is how he did it, these are all the things that happened. He got the burden, asked the king, did the thing, fifty-two days, hallelujah. Everybody worked together. Rebuilt the wall. And then they end. Um, the problem is, we're gonna be in chapter seven and chapter eight today. Um, let me read chapter chapter seven, verse one. After the wall had been rebuilt, and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers paused for then we see something kind of interesting that happens here. It says the gatekeepers, and then the musicians and the Levites were appointed. So the wall is finished, doors are set, guards are at the gates, and then the first order of business, check it out, is appointing priests and a worship team. You see it, right? I mean, there are musicians. Like, I don't know, if this book is all about building a wall, like, what in the world? Like, okay, we got this wall built now, okay, we need some priests, we need some pastors, we need, some, we need a, good, a good worship team, like that is the first thing that he is focused on after guards in place. And then not only that, but watch, his, watch how he chooses the people who are gonna be governing the city. Verse two, I put in charge of Jerusalem, my brother Hananiah, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, and then catch what he says. He says, because he was a man of integrity, and feared God more than most people do. What if we choose our leaders that way? What if we chose our nation's leaders that way? (laughs) Like, (laughs) Uh slim pickings, but... but what, what if what if it was like, hey, like, we, uh, we, like I care about your education, your experience, like you, you've built a great career, but like if you're gonna be leading our country, um, you have to be a person of integrity. And then I love how it just says, and fear God more than most people do. Because if we're not careful, we may think that Nehemiah is all about a guy who rebuilt a wall. End of story. That's all he was doing. But let me go back, all the way back to Nehemiah chapter 1 and remind you of his original burden. Way back in the beginning, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. He asks about what's going on back in Jerusalem. And they said to me, verse 3, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So I don't want you to miss this. Nehemiah had a burden, not just to rebuild a wall, but to rebuild Israel, the Israelites' identity and dignity. He's like, they're in great trouble and in disgrace. He was rebuilding not just a wall, but a nation, a people. And he says that he, he, he wept over it. I, wanted, I just want to be clear. He was not weeping over broken down walls. He was weeping over over broken down people. So please don't mistake this book of Nehemiah, all about a guy of great leadership principles of rebuilding a wall. He was heartbroken over his people that had been broken down. And so the wall is finished, end of chapter six, but the vision is not finished. There was a spiritual vacuum in the city. People had been, it had been so long since they had really engaged together and as a community, as a people of God. So your first, your first point in here in your notes, is says this, that Nehemiah rebuilt a wall to set the stage for a revival. He rebuilt the wall to set the stage for a revival. When I sat down um, almost about three weeks ago with our city leaders, I sat down with the, the mayor and the city manager and the planning director and um, was talking about a Hope Center in Bedford. And I told them, I said, I am so proud of this city. I am so proud of the rebuilding effort that you guys have really done an amazing effort over the past 10 years. Your accomplishments are absolutely amazing. Um, I, love, I love all of the new businesses that are coming in, all of the new restaurants that are coming in, the new housing opportunities, new families that are moving in, um, the infrastructure that you guys are putting in place. And I said to them, I said, but... I'm passionate about rebuilding people. I'm, I'm passionate about revitalizing families and caring for children and healing the addicted, providing hope to people who can't see beyond their current circumstances. Church, it's one thing to rebuild walls. It's one thing to just to rebuild walls and and revitalize a city and put new buildings, new businesses and new infrastructure and all of those things. But a godly leader is concerned with reviving what happens inside of those walls, inside of that house, inside of these people. And the Lord gave me this word like on mission for this year and I've been preaching through it over the past few months and even kind of Nehemiah is just an extension of that word. But I feel like, I have this sense on the inside of me that God's like, this, this year is a year of activation. This year is a year where God is wanting to activate some of the dreams, some of the visions, some of the desires on the inside of you that we move from just being like going to church services to be a church serving, to, be, to bring the anointing of God into the city from the church to the city, and, and to provide hope to people who, who desperately need it. Gone are the days where we can act like we're in a, in a churched community where if we just change our, change our times to 9 and 11, rather than 8.30 and 10.15, people are just gonna show up. Like the reality is, is that we live in a post-Christian, post-church era. And if we don't act like the missionaries that we truly are, we'll be missing out on ministering to an entire generation of people. For Nehemiah, this was just the beginning, the beginning of a revival. He, like all of it, it's, it's beautiful because he, he goes and he wants to rebuild the walls and they're like, and, and the king of Persia is like, yeah, sure, yeah, go ahead, yeah. Like, we should rebuild those walls. They put some infrastructure in there, yeah. But that was not his burden. He was heartbroken over his people. And, the, and this whole thing gets sparked. And we're going to read about it in chapter eight. The whole thing gets sparked, the revival when the word of God is proclaimed. Nehemiah chapter eight, verse one. All the people came together in one square before the water gate. So the walls are in, the musicians are set, the Levites are, are appointed, the Hananiah, Hananiah, they fear God more than most people. You guys, are, you guys are good leaders. You're gonna be in this place. Everyone's set. And then the next thing that happens, chapter eight, verse one, all the people gather together in the square before the water gate. All the whole city. And they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, they said, bring out the book. Bring out the book, the book of the law, the Bible. They're like, bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. One thing that we need to realize that up to this point, it had been years since they had had church like this years since they had actually gathered together and had the public reading of the word of God together. Not only were the walls broken down, but these people were broken down. Just their identity, their, their, their sense of belonging, their sense of being a people of God together, celebrating and worshiping their creator together had been broken down as well. It wasn't just about these walls. And so all these people come together for the first time in years publicly and they say, bring out the book because something special happens when the word of God is proclaimed and we join together around it. Amen? Amen. There's something special that happens. There's a, a revival that is sparked just by reading the word of God publicly. So if you want to spark a revival in your city or you want to spark a revival in yourself, get into the word of God, church. Get into the word of God. Verse five, it says, e- Ezra, opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Revival is sparked not just by the word of God being proclaimed, it is sparked by the word of God being revered. Can I just say, I love that they were not standing for Ezra. I love that they didn't all all rise, you know, because Ezra, the teacher of the law, walks into the room and they all just decide, oh, we're going we're gonna to all stand up and, and honor the man of God and stand up for, for him. They stood up for the word of God. Could it be that the church is hoping and praying for revival, but we are standing up for the wrong things? what are you standing up for? Are you standing up for the Word of God, or are we standing up for a person, a personality, a music artist, a sports figure, a, a politician, a leader, our own opinions? Because usually what you're willing to stand up for is what you're actually standing on. And so these people, they, he opens up the Word of God. I love it. They actually stand up to honor and to revere the word of God because either the church will stand on the truth of the word of God or all of a sudden truth quickly becomes malleable and impotent and subject to our own feelings and opinions. But revival is sparked when the word of God is not only proclaimed, but is revered. Not only do they do that, but they stand for a long time. Verse three, he read it aloud from daybreak Till noon. And do you think we have long church services? <laughs> Are you like, man, that's adjusting a little long today, right? Like six stinking hours. Six hours. And uh, they're, they're standing the entire time, as far as I can tell. It says, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and the women and others who could understand, and all the people, catch this, listened attentively which means it's a nice way of saying no one fell asleep in church, (laughs) which is a miracle of all miracles, right? Can't even go 40 minutes with that, but literally six hours and everyone's riveted. They're listening attentively to the book of the law. Verse six, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God and all the people. Catch this, catch what they're doing. They lift their hands and respond, amen, amen. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is a charismatic church service if I've ever seen one. They stand up, they lift their hands, they yell, amen, right? They bow down, they get on their faces, they kneel down in worship. Like this is, this is the most charismatic church service I've ever seen. Like verse eight, they, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving it meaning, so that the people understood what was being read. This is so key. Revival is sparked, not just by the word of God being proclaimed, not just by the word of God being revered, but by the word of God being explained. This is the goal of preaching the word of God, or at least it ought to be, the word. Read the word, make it clear, give it meaning so that people understand it. what I attempt to do every single week as we gather together and read the Word of God. It's why I don't read a lot of poems or a lot of quotes from really brilliant people, because I just feel like the Word of God is the most brilliant thing that I could bring you, because God is actually not looking for editors of His Word. He's looking for messengers of His Word. Amen. Amen. Which, which is part of the, my, my whole heart of just like walking through a book together because we talk about things that I don't even necessarily want to talk about. We address issues that I don't even necessarily want to have to address, but we have to walk through the word of God because the word of God stands alone. Take the truth from this book, give it meaning to our current cultural context. That's preaching in and of itself. Because reading the word of God is powerful, but having understanding of the word of God is what transforms us. It's not just about memorizing it. It's not just about like reciting it. It's not just about reading it. The the thing that really, really transforms us is when we have understanding of what it is that the word of God is saying in our own cultural context so that we can apply it to our own lives. Romans chapter 12, verse two says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? by getting an understanding of his word. He says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. One of our core values here is this. We believe that the word of God mines the gold out of anyone who receives it. We believe that the word of God is not just digging up your dirt, it's mining the gold in you. And sometimes we're scared of the word of God, thinking, man, I I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to be confronted with this truth because it's it's maybe hard for me to hear. But the word of God is not digging up your dirt. The word of God mines for the gold on you, in you. Religion, man-made kind of like getting our way to God leads to introspection and like, oh, well, you know, what do I need to do? And just focusing on me, 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 me. The word of God actually leads to transformation though. It's freedom outside of me. And the coming revival is always sparked by the revival of the word of God. Don't miss this. This whole revival is sparked the same way that all revivals have been sparked. It's, it's proclaiming, it's revering, it's explaining, it's understanding, and it's applying the word of God in the lives of God's people. So if you want to spark a revival in you, in your city, in your family, in your, get into the word of God. Verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Which is interesting because I always, I, when I first started reading this, I'm like, why are they crying? And yet, I know why they're crying. Because so many of us can relate to it. Like you're in worship, and you just find yourself in tears. And you don't really know why, but you kind of do. The Spirit just begins working on you. You're listening to a sermon, even maybe even right now, and like you just find yourself feeling like God is only speaking right to me right now. Like, pastor made this sermon for me and me. I don't know why all these people are listening, but it's just for me right now. Because here's what I know. When the word of God is proclaimed, the spirit of God is unleashed. And when the spirit of God is unleashed, then the word of God begins to do its work in our hearts. Because revival is sparked when the word of God convicts the hearts of people. Because the word of God is like a mirror. It reveals you. Like this, this book, I mean, you can read lots of books and many of you do, right? This is the only book that reads you. It reads your current situation, your current heart condition. It, it will show you what needs to be tweaked, what needs to change. It will mine the gold out of you. But unlike a mirror, it isn't just revealing your dirt, it digs up the gold. It will correct lies that you've believed, replace shame that you've been feeling, give you hope beyond your current circumstances, speak, speak identity over you, offer you forgiveness when you don't deserve it, healing brokenness when you find no way out. Like this book is not just a book you read, it's a book that reads you. I mean, how can you not cry when the word of God is convicting you? How can you not cry? So we look at these guys and we're like, why are they crying? Why are they mourning? Why are they weeping? Like, but we know why they're crying while they're weeping. It's important to, to realize this because I'm talking about the conviction of the word of God. It's important to realize that everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. So the Holy Spirit, the word of God convicts, but Satan's twist of conviction is condemnation. Romans 8.1 says, therefore now there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So church, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction will point out something that God is wanting to tweak in you, to work on in you. Condemnation just leaves you with this overall feeling of failure and dread, and there's no way out. Conviction will lead you heart to repentance. Condemnation will lead you to analysis paralysis where you're just like, I just don't know. I'm just a horrible person. I can't figure this out. I, I stink of being a, at a, as a Christian. I, I might as well just quit this thing. Conviction will lead you to freedom. Condemnation will lead you to shame. Conviction will give you hope. Condemnation will leave you in despair because there is no hope for you condemnation tries to get you to believe that you, you are what you did. So you didn't just fail, you are a failure. Conviction brings you hope in the midst of it. Condemnation digs up your dirt. Conviction mines the gold in you. And it's really important, I say this to some of you maybe, that, that you're like, I, I, I mean, I like the word of God, Pastor, when you, when you preach in that, but I'm just scared to read it myself. And it, I, I just don't know what to do with this book. I want, to, I want to be something very clear to you. If you grew up in a family or a religion that used shame and condemnation to get you do, to do things, you may find that you have a fear for this book. It's not necessarily because there's anything inherently about the word of God that you should be afraid of, but you've correlated it to shame and condemnation. And you find yourself running away from the word of God, essentially running away from conviction because initially it feels a whole lot like condemnation. Why? Because they both require digging. They both require digging. Digging and you start to feel that excavation that the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in you, and you say, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want to have anything to do with this because I, I always think that excavation and digging in me leads to shame and condemnation. i got to protect myself. Can I, can I just encourage you, do not resist the Spirit of God doing excavation in your heart because he's not digging up your dirt. He's mining for gold. You want to start Revival. You got a house, you got a car, you got nice walls, you got all these things. You want to start a revival in yourself, but you still feel like you've got a spiritual vacuum in your life? Get into the Word. Allow the Word to unleash the Spirit of God in your life to do the work that it needs to do within you to change you from the inside out. Because every Word of God has the power in and of itself to fulfill itself. Verse 10, Nehemiah said, Go enjoy choice food and sweet drink, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to your, to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I don't know about you, kind of the the tradition that I grew up in. This seems like an oxymoron, where it's like, hey, uh, this day is holy to the Lord, so party on. Whenever I used to think of holy, I used to think of quiet, hands-folded, devout, praying, introspective, gaunt, sour-faced. There was no laughing. Holiness was not fun. Holiness was not a party. There's no, like, there's no like eating and drinking when you're trying to be holy. Holy means like you can't eat. Holy means you got to be fasting all the time and maybe even a little bit grumpy. That's holy. But I love this reminder. He's like, no, 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 holiness is meant to be joyful. This day is holy to the Lord. So, so the joy of the Lord is your strength. Revival should look like a party. Revival should be a place, a people, that outside would want to get in. Not like, oh man, they're so holy, I just, I just don't measure up. They just seem like they're just kind of judgy and I don't really know. I don't feel like I'm welcome there. no, 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 no. He's saying like, no, the people of God that are experiencing revival of the word of God and the spirit of God working on the inside of them should have a joy that is so exuberant that people on the outside are like, man, I want in. What do I gotta, can I come in here? Because this looks awesome. Like I'm missing out. I wanna be a part of something like that. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The, The revival is sparked when the word of God results in the joy of the Lord. Religion will try to get you to stop short and think that that holiness is all about introspection. But revival pulls you from introspection into celebration. And I love the reminder that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Church, joy is not the absence of pain. It's essentially standing on the rock in the midst of the storm. Like, hey, I don't know what's going on. The, The world is crazy right now, but man, can I just tell you how good my God is? I, I got to tell you a story of what God did this morning. I got to tell you what God's doing in my life right now. Like, well, well but did you hear? Did you read the news? Did you, did you know? Did you hear? Did you look? Did you see? Yeah I, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But Let me tell you what God's doing. It's so cool. I know, but what, come over here and wring my hands. We should, can you wring my hands for me? You know what I mean? Like, what? No, can I just tell you how good my God is? It's not the absence of pain. It's standing on the, on the rock in the middle of the storm, knowing what you're standing up for is what you're standing on. Verse 12. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, party on, to send portions of food, to celebrate with great joy. Because, why? Because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. What a great picture of revival. Revival is sparked when the word of God is understood. They celebrated with great joy because they now understood the word of God because understanding the word of God should bring you great joy. Understanding the word of God should not bring you fear. It should not bring you um, trepidation. It should not bring you a feeling of dread. Understanding the word of God should bring you great joy. And if we're not careful... We will think that gaining knowledge and understanding um, is the thing that saves us. That's called Gnosticism, thinking like, oh, I just need to find this new revelation. I need to find this, this hidden meaning. I need to read the Bible code and figure out this, this thing that nobody else has seen. That's the thing that's gonna give me joy and life and all of those things. Now, biblical understanding is never the goal in and of itself. It always is the response of our will to the word of God because faith without works is dead. So you can understand all mysteries, all knowledge, all words, all, all meanings. You can, under, you can, you can have know the, the Bible backwards and forwards, but if you've not applied it to your life and walked it out in your will and submitted your will in obedience to the word of God, you still won't experience revival because the word of God is sparked when the the, the revival is sparked from the word of God is obeyed. Obeyed. Let me read it for you. Verse 14. I'm going to read a few few, um, verses to you. Verse 14 through 17. Because this is what happens in them. They're listening all day long, six hours, to the word of God. And they're finding out new things they didn't know. Verse 14. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seven month. And that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs and in their courtyards and in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile, built temporary shelter. Think about this, they all went camping. They just had church camp. <laughs> Everyone's like, we should do this. I had no idea this was a thing. So they built temporary shelters and lived in them from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this and their joy was very great. Can I just encourage you, church, when God reveals something that you did not already know, when you walk in obedience to it, you will experience great joy. What an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable is a people of God that say that they believe in Jesus and they hold to the word of God with their lips, but then deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Because the truth is that once you understand the word of God, you have a responsibility to walk in it. So the Israelites right here, verse 14 through 17, the Israelites say, hey, uh," apparently it says here that we're supposed to do a camping thing like all of us. Like build like tents and uh, it's like a festival. We've never done that. We should probably do that. We should do that. And just like for you, maybe you get understanding of something. I, I'm supposed to, I, I'm supposed to do this with my money. I'm supposed to do this in my family. I'm supposed to do this as a husband. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to do this in my life. Like I haven't been doing that. I'm supposed to do this in my, in my dating life. I'm supposed to do this in my, I haven't been doing that. I I need to start doing that. Sounds like I need to make some changes here. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a friend this week and she said to me, she's like, she's like, I've been working with the Lord right over the past month. She said, "I, I get up every morning and I say to the Lord, Lord, you have given me free will and today I give it back to you it's yours. Take it. I submit my free will to you. I give it back. Sometimes the most beautiful gift that you can give back to the Lord is your will, to submit your free will to his will, to his word. Lord, I submit my will to your word. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to have um, some of our team, they're going to start passing things out um, here. So just as I, as I talk, just pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to pass you out um, pieces of chalk. They're not candy cigarettes. They're pieces of chalk. <laughs> and I'll explain. So just grab your piece of chalk, pass it down. You'll have them. Yeah. Um, When the people of God experience a revival of the word of God, then the spirit of God is unleashed. Revival doesn't start out there. Revival starts in here. Revival starts in you. Revival starts in us. Let me tell you who you are. Romans 8.37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That means that when you're in Christ, you're not just a conqueror, you're more than a conqueror in Christ. I want you to understand something like every time I get up here to preach the word of God to you, um, I preach the word of God to people who are more than conquerors. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not just because you're great and I know you are and you smell good and you look good and all of those types of things, but it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so when I preach to people, I don't don't preach to underdogs, I preach to more than overcomers. What does that mean? It means that the greatest thing, the greatest asset that you have, church, is the spirit of God dwelling on the inside of you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now you got you got great talent, you're you're wicked smart, and you got all kinds of great stuff going for you. And I know you've got you got a career, you got a job, you got all these things, and you got you are somebody. I get this, but can I just remind you, the most important thing that you have as an asset in your life is the very Spirit of God dwelling in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I've watched, I've watched a little kid pray over an adult for healing. And I watch that adult get healed. I'm talking like a little kid, like just, just barely knows Jesus, right? Just, just come to faith and pray, little girl, pray over a man for healing. And I watch this guy get healed. What does that mean? It means that there's no junior Holy Spirit. It means that, that those kids on the other side of this wall that are getting poured into and, and just prayed over and, and taught in the Word of God, man, they have that same greatest asset on the inside of them. The same gold that God is wanting to mine out, same gifts and talents that they have to offer this world, as you do. It means that the person next to you that doesn't look like you, smell like you, act like you, talk like you, is the very same thing dwelling on the inside of them, the greatest asset for this world that needs desperately hope outside of themselves. Desperately. If we only knew the power of the Word of God, we wouldn't just read it, we would activate it in our life. We would proclaim it, we would revere it, we would... We, we would study it so that we would understand it and then we would activate it in our life. We wouldn't just understand it, we would apply it and allow it to give us great joy. I just remind you, church, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. And in order for the devil to defeat you, All he has to do is disarm you. He wants this book on a bookshelf somewhere. Dusty is better, but certainly not read and most certainly not applied. He wants this book to be, well, I just, it's just too deep for me. It's too big. The words are too small. I just... I, I don't I don't I just don't understand it. I just so I'm not even gonna try I'm just gonna keep it on a shelf. It'll look good. But I, I it's too much for me. And I just remind you, if you want to spark a revival, get into the Word of God. This piece of chalk. Does anyone have does everyone have their chalk? i left them up so I just know that you guys have them. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right. Um, there was a man named Rodney Smith. Don't expect you to know him or remember him. His, he was nicknamed Gypsy. And I was reading about him. He was born in a Gypsy tent in 1860. And uh, even though his he had meager beginnings, he was an evangelist who preached the gospel to millions. And even though he was a a gypsy born in a tent, he was actually invited to meet not one, but two presidents in his lifetime. And he was once asked this question from a group of people that said, how can we be used by God like you are used by God? And Smith, without hesitation, said this, go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor and with a piece of chalk draw a circle around yourself there on your knees pray fervently and brokenly that God would start a revival within that chalk circle. this is where every great movement of God begins may it begin with you, in you. Maybe today would be a day that you would ask the Lord to revive you. Maybe today would be a day that you you bring heaven to earth in your own life and allow God to activate something on the inside of you. It's this idea of just Waiting for you. I'm not waiting for the next election cycle. I'm not waiting for the news to tell me. I'm not. I'm not waiting for the world around me to change. I'm not. I'm not waiting for for anybody else. Maybe your prayer today is like, God, I pray that you would you change my family. Start with me, Lord. Change my marriage. Start with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would change my school. Change my school district. Start with me. Lord Jesus, I I pray you just change my neighborhood. I pray that it would just be different. Start with me. God, change my nation and start with me. Lord, change my church. But start within this chalk circle right here. sing this last song whether wherever you are here even if you're watching online today I believe that God is wanting to activate something on the inside of you I don't know what that is but I do know that we overthink it far too often (laughs) sometimes it's just God do a revival of the word of God to unleash the spirit of God to change me from the inside out start a revival and start with me would you give him the opportunity to just give back your free will today to him to submit to his word to his ways to his will and would you ask him Lord Jesus help me to walk in obedience to the things that I already know